0: I'll hunt for fire when
1: there's no one around.
2: And sometimes I'll dig
3: underneath the ground. You're listening to To Whom It May Concern, a live monthly show at Rafa's Lounge in Echo Park, California, where folks read their letters on stage, real letters they've written, letters they've received, correspondence back and forth, or letters we wish we could write.
2: Ray Barnhart
3: reads a letter he received almost 20 years ago after he left Bible college.
2: December 29, 1993. Ray... (laughs) (laughs) I'm at work with not much to do We're on Christmas break So I know it's your turn But I'm riding anyway How was your Christmas? Mark and I had a great time with my family Hopefully we'll get to be with his Over New Year's Eve But Kevin is still sick Sunday, his fever reached 103.7. So, like a frightened new mother, I took him to Freeman Hospital's MediQuick. The doctor probably thought I was crazy, but humored me and gave us some medicine anyway. We were praying for you and your parents over the holiday. Did you tell them that you have decided that you are gay? If so, it must have been hard for all of you. I'm really sorry that I didn't get to see you this weekend. I have so many questions to ask. It's most likely none of my business, but you... You told me, so I figure you must expect them. You didn't have to tell me. I never would have found out. This was before Facebook. Um, LAUGHTER When we were at Ozark, you were one of the most confrontive friends, and that's one of the things I appreciated about you. Remember after Heather Johnson's funeral, Mike's sister? You were very upset with me because you thought that I didn't show enough emotion. She was not a Christian, and you thought that I didn't care enough about that. You were wrong. (laughs) Then, when we had our first recent conversation, You said that it was a relief not to have the weight of the salvation of the world on your shoulders. (laughs) If I would have been thinking clearly, I would have reminded you that it, the salvation of the world, was never on your shoulders. It was on Jesus's. (laughs) It was merely your job to, out of love, let other people know of the victory he has already won. On the phone, you also said, no, I did not tape our conversation, that being, a Christ- that being a Christian in New York is not a popular thing. Well, being a Christian anywhere is not a popular thing. It might be harder in New York, but what did you expect when you moved there? Are you turning your back on the truth because the truth is not the in thing? I hope not. What do you mean when you say you, d- you feel free now? Does that mean you're now able to do whatever feels good and not feel guilty? Ray, you of all people should know that the guidelines God has placed in his word for our lives are not to restrict, but to provide the only truly abundant life. I know, I don't know. <laughs> the kind of struggles you have gone through. I am trying to understand where you are now and how you feel in relation to how you used to feel. Please know that I don't want to be cruel or hard. If you don't want to answer any of my questions, of course you don't have to. You also said that you are attracted to men and women. How are you attracted to them differently? Are you still sexually attracted to women? I say still because I know that you were at one time. Laura and I are proof of that. (laughs) You were attracted to us. What has changed? Now I'm gonna stop right here for just a moment and talk about the complexity of life. You know, one of the things about life, I, you know, believe me, I'm gay, you know, like they don't get gayer. I, when I was in college, I really was, I thought I was in love with Michelle and I, you know, we were like Andy and Ducky and Pretty and Pink, you know, like the whole thing we all know now is like, Ducky's gay, you know? He just didn't know it at the time, but he's gay, you know? So there's just this complexity about life that like, yes, I was in love with her, you know, in a way. And then there's also another complexity about life, which I, I'm reading this like in a very judgmental way, like she's trying to, you know, throw a dagger at me by writing this letter. And, and I think there is that going on, don't get me wrong, you know. <laughs> Maybe you haven't figured it out, but I wasn't the easiest 25-year-old to be friends with. But at the same time, I do think there was this part of her that was right. You know, she was a 23-year-old girl, you know. She was just trying to figure out. One of her best friends had told her something that was a big piece of information. It was just her way of processing. So I'm just going to go back just a, a teeny bit and read the rest of the letter in the way that I hope that she meant it, so. I know I don't understand the kind of struggles you have gone through. I'm trying to understand where you are now and how you feel into relation to the way you used to feel. Please know that I don't want to be cruel or hard. If you don't want to answer any of my questions, of course, you don't have to. You also said that you were attracted to men and women. How are you attracted to them differently? Are you still sexually attracted to women? I say still because I know you were at one time, Laura and I are proof of that. I'm not gonna like that. Um, (laughs) You were attracted to us. What has changed? I guess that is all for now. Is that enough? I would love for you to write me back and answer some of these questions. Like I said, I will understand if you don't. You are my friend and I do care about you that's why I try to understand what you're going through. Take care. I'm constantly praying for you. I also pray that I treat you, and everyone else for that matter, in a Christ-like way. I know that I don't always do that. Be patient, please. Love always, Michelle. Lori
3: Alberg channels the girls of Jersey she went to school with, who left their hilarious and indelible mark upon her psyche.
1: Dear Gino, I have been wasting a lot of my sister's nice stationery trying to write you a letter. I know if I saw you in person, I would kick you in the balls. Hard. Instead, I thought I would do the civilized thing and sit down and write you a letter. I got a lot going on in my head, so I figured this was the clearest way possible I can tell you all that you need to know. First of all, I'm not sure if you remember me. We met about two months ago at the Livingston Mall near Contempo Casual. (laughs) You showed me your new Z Cavaricis, and you said that you liked that my hair smelled like grapes on account of my new Aussie scrunch spray. (laughs) We then went downstairs to look at cassettes at Sam Goody. I told you I like Poison and Warrant and Bon Jovi, who I was fortunate enough to see in concert. Then we laughed at the hippie when he came in and asked if they had a new Rolling Stone CD. You said he was retarded because the Rolling Stones were dead and there was no way they had a new record out. (laughs) I expressed how displeased I was in your use of the word retarded on account of my cousin Teresa's son has mild retardation on account of an extra chromosome. (laughs) You apologized, and you said you would make it up to me. And like a gentleman, you said you would buy me dinner. <laughs> we went to Nathan's. You got a hot dog with relish. I got some fries and one of those orange drinks they only sell at Nathan's. We walked a bit, and you showed me your car. You were really proud of your car. I remember everything so clearly from this day because it has been on my mind. I was recounting the details to see if there was something that I have missed. It could have been any ordinary day at the Livingston Mall, but I fear this was no ordinary day. By the way, you were wrong. The Rolling Stones are not dead. I'm not gonna lie. I was excited you paid attention to me because you were older and you had a car. Maybe I was a bit immature back then, but in a way, I was grateful to you. You see, shortly after our meeting, I started getting more attention from the boys in my grade, I was never one of those girls the guys looked at, but maybe now, because I was a girl with experience, they wanted to hang out more. It could have also been because I was losing weight on account of my experimentation with bulimia. And also, I just got highlights, and they look really good. I tell you this, though. Even though I started hanging out with the boys in my grade, you were the only one I went with. Last week, as I was sitting at my orthodontist, I remember back to my appointment a couple of months earlier. I went to see the doctor the same night as the Bon Jovi show, and I was super anxious to get out of the office because Nikki Calavito's brother Tommy was driving us to the Brendan Byrne Arena later that night. Tommy was a bit impatient because he was unhappy how to drive around a bunch of kids, especially because he hates Bon Jovi and only listens to metal. I was worried that I wasn't going to get out in time, and I was super bitchy to the receptionist. For this, I am sorry. But I was also bitchy because I was about to get my end of sentence. And by end of sentence, I mean my period. (laughs) I also was very worried that I'd have to wait in line at the Brendan Byrne Arena and use one of those scuzzy bathrooms, and I might possibly miss a song. I'm sorry if I am oversharing, but this is kind of important. You see, the concert was before we met. I started thinking about that night at the mall, and it is my conclusion that you are a scumbag. You swore you had protection. I asked you, and you told me you were protected. But the more I think about it, the more I realize that if you had protection, I would have seen you put something on. I know the mall parking lot was dark, but seriously? I can't believe how stupid I was for believing you. Now, I am not a moron. Given the fact that I didn't have a period and that I didn't see you use a condom, I am concluding that I am now indeed knocked up. Plus, I've been throwing up a lot, which at first I thought was just my body getting used to bulimia. (laughs) Also, my feet are really swollen to the point that my scrunchy socks don't really look scrunchy, which is really disappointing, because like I told you, that's kind of my look. For all of this, I wish I can beat the shit out of you. If I told my brother, I'm pretty sure he would kill you. (laughs) I don't want him to kill you, but because of your actions, I'm pretty sure he should have. Or at very least, break both of your legs and maybe one of your arms. The problem is, I can't tell my brother. I can't tell my sister. I can't tell anyone. How am I supposed to be a fucking mom when I can't even tell my mom? You see, I'm not one of those Horizons chicks. Did you have Horizons when you were in school? My brother said they called it something else. Um, You know, it's kind of like special ed, but not really. They're not that way. They just don't fit into regular classes. They're by the old Lincoln gym. They have like really small classes and they get to eat McDonald's and they sit on beanbag chairs and stuff like that. My mom calls it waiting room for juvie. I take Jim with some of those girls from there. This one girl, Michelle, maybe you know her. She got pregnant and she was talking shit about Carla Pascarelli, whom I recall you mentioned you are acquainted with. Anyway, the two of them had it out and Carla kicked her in the stomach. A pregnant girl in the stomach. That's just kind of ignorant. Those girls from Horizons are mostly hoebags bags with no aspirations. Although some of them are kind of cool, I suppose. Needless to say, I never thought I'd be in a situation like this. This is the kind of stuff that happens to them. I do okay. In school this year, I got to take Italian and algebra with some of the smart kids. Like, not the super high aptitude ones, but, you know, the kids from up the hill and the Asians and the Jews and the Indians. And I want to go to college. And I'm not talking Mara's community. I want to go to a real school like Montclair State or William Patterson or something like that. My cousin Teresa got a degree from William Patterson, and she works as a speech pathologist. I want to do something cool like that. I think I'd be good at speech pathology. <laughs> you see, once it is found out that I got knocked up, I will be labeled a hoe bag Then I will be dumped in horizons and looked like all of the other guidos, juvies, and sluts, not to mention the shit I get at home. My mother is probably going to take away my TV and the phone upstairs and everything. And she'll get really mad and probably cry a whole bunch. And she's like, not gonna kick me out or nothing, but I know she's gonna flip. Like, You should have seen the reaction I got when I pierced the second hole in my ear, or when I started wearing makeup, or when I got the body wave, which looked really good. I can't even fathom it. Worst yet is my dad. And like I said, my brother's gonna have your balls in a sling. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure what I'm gonna do. It is still a bit early, but I'm pretty sure I don't wanna keep this thing. If that means I get it taken care of now, or give it away later, I will have to decide. Unfortunately, I will have to make that decision on my own. Since you didn't give me any consideration for when you lied about protection, I don't think you get any fucking consideration when I make my decision. I will, however, probably need use of your precious car. (laughs) Sincerely, Gina Kim.
3: Martian DeLellis reflects upon a letter of remorse that has been harder to let go
0: of than he thought. So I recently scanned and destroyed all of my letters in an attempt to make some space in my life. But there was so much ephemera from this one high school relationship with, let's just call him R., At the time, so much was happening at such an accelerated rate that I could barely make sense of it. And even now, it's hard to remember it linearly. So I stuffed everything, all the artifacts from the relationship, into this binder. (laughs) With all the love poems, letters, and cards, safely contained and protected, entombed inside plastic sheets. Why, look. Here's a collage he made from his cut off hair extensions, (laughs) peels from a chandarine we once shared, and a condom we once used. Oh, the memories. Oh, here's our anniversary card. We were probably only together for nine months, so I'm not sure if it was our one week or our one month but with Valentine's in the air, I thought it seemed appropriate to read a letter of love and regret. This letter was sent in 1995, almost a year and a half after our breakup. I know I'm dating myself, literally. Um, I I was still unpacking boxes in a new apartment, after moving from Boston to Chicago and finishing my first year of art school, but somehow R tracked me down and this letter arrived in the fall while my life was slowly unraveling. Dear Martian, all my memories of you are of sweet joy. First and foremost, I know that I must apologize because I was truly sorry scum. You were one of the few that I truly regret doing what I did. Those days seemed to be the most innocent and the most tragic. Things were a wonder beyond recognition. I remember you as a little prince, ever so exquisite. This letter is a testimony of past unrest in my spirit. I owe you worlds of pure passion for all those of yours I crushed. I deeply owe you sanction. Time is coursing through my every being, claiming part of me that I truly did not appreciate. I must cry, for my soul is in constant reckoning for the deeds I've done. No excuse may heal the scores of whips upon yourself caused by me. I duly apologize, with my heart, which is now caged in shame, and my mind, which reaps the bounty of ignorance, selfishness, and waste. My heart aches knowing how much I hurt you. My only peace is knowing that you've progressed on from me. I yearn to see the forms your creation has yielded, your paintings, sculptures, and other artwork, children of beauty. The power you possess is not known to you yet. It spans reaches of unimaginable greatness. I wish to give you my peace, which only little exists until yours is wholly replaced. With undying passion, I wish to correct my wrong. May I try to make it up to you? I'm not asking to come back into your life, for I have no right and do not ever deserve another chance at a gift so precious as you. There is so much I wish I could explain. There's so much that has occurred in the small amount of time that it astonishes even me. All the challenges that I have undergone and overcome I wish my joy could be yours. Well, the chaos of realities of the uh, this earth, the sickness of pleasure. My heart cannot possibly forget the seeds of love that you planted in my soul. I apologize with all my being. Every day I try to live my life a little more caring and considerate with you in mind. When I think of all the things I put you through, I cry. My soul will never be at rest until I'm able to do right by you. I was watching a special on TV about serve concentration camps. At one camp, the guards were known for torturing the women. One woman had all of her good teeth removed with pliers, and the guards left her bad rotted teeth in her mouth. I realized this is what I've done to you. (laughs) I've done the same senseless sickness to you. Please, if you can find it in your heart and in your soul to allow me to give you back to you what I have taken from you, I would like to try. When I was with you, it was all so fantastical that I was not truly aware of what was happening. When I remember back, it almost seems imaginary, but I know it happened because I feel as if you were the only person I have ever loved and I fear that you may be the only one for the rest of my life. I look into my destiny and I see a lone soul, my soul, all alone, feared and misunderstood. I can't help but think and give credit to you because without you I wouldn't be where I am right now. If you were to ask me exactly where I am. Well, I don't know, but I like it. It's not the greatest place, and I am by no means close to being where I would like to be, but I am on the road there, and it's a learning experience. I have just come to find out that I have an old soul. I am very happy about that. (laughs) It explains a lot of things to me, like the fact that sometimes I feel that I am in the wrong time. There's a piece of me that explodes into consciousness for a brief time. Its identity was Baby Universe. With Tracy's help, we produced the beginnings of a comic that is called Immortal Madness. She brings visual life to my words. I felt good because when I was talking to my psychic, she slightly mentioned Baby Universe. I had never told her about my club life or about Baby Universe, but when she was telling me about a few past lives, she said, you were like a baby of the universe. (laughs) I gagged. It confirmed in me that she was true and real. I asked her advice about a lot of things. It helps me have peace of mind. But I can never truly have peace of mind until I do right by you. I cannot write anymore because it hurts to believe that I was so selfishly devilish. I'm truly sorry. Please, let me know what I need to do. I'll do whatever you say. P.S. Your money is on its way. Promise. (laughs) Beyond the flesh. Dear R, look, don't worry about the money. I'm not even sure what, if anything, you owed me. And after 19 years, it's long past time for me to forgive and forget. I made some bad choices when I was with you that impacted my life for years. And for so long, I blamed you as if I was some kind of victim. But in reality, I made bad choices and didn't have such great boundaries. You didn't exactly force me to take the drugs. I could have called it quits when you walked out of Lord & Taylor with that fur coat for your drag act instead of bailing you out of jail. (laughs) I should have said no to you when you had me cash envelopes full of checks at the ATM without first making sure that they weren't stolen from unsuspecting sex club patrons. I could have distanced myself from you at any point after the phone call from the authorities, the breakup letter from Citibank, or your suicide note. But instead, in typical Cody fashion, I wanted to help you get better. Worst of all was what I put my nervous parents through. But I was 17. I was young and stupid. Fast forward, Providence, 2006. Just as I'm getting it together from a short stint in New York to move to L.A. for grad school, I got your e-postcards. And the message you left my mom impersonating Moni so you could get my phone number. Funny how you seem to pop up during these transitional times. I'm sorry I didn't respond then either, but I didn't want to step backwards into that feeling of chaos. I find it's much easier to make rational choices when you're not in love. And maybe that's why I tend to stay single. But all that hasn't stopped me from wondering from time to time what has become of you. Have you become a famed drag queen? An accomplished poet? A toothless meth zombie? (laughs) Had the years been kind to you? Did you prematurely age, become bedridden with super obesity? (laughs) Would we even recognize each other on the street? Are you finally comfortable in your own skin or did your family pressure you into conversion therapy? Had you joined some kind of recovery group for shoplifters perhaps and found true love and settled down? I occasionally Googled you, but as you're probably aware, the ubiquity of your name makes tracking you down almost impossible. Then when Jane asked me to read a letter for her show and I looked back at yours, I felt myself swept up in the words. Well, except for the serve concentration camp bit. (laughs) I feel bad I never truly forgave you in an official way. What kind of unforgiving asshole am I? I considered replying to your e-postcard, but didn't want to risk opening the door to that feeling of chaos. I had forgiven you in my mind, but feared contacting you would lead to unnecessary upheaval. It's 3 a.m. on Christmas Eve. I'm visiting home and I can't sleep from jet lag. I'm using my top game DIY NSA tactics to cross-reference your last used identifying information on Google Image Search, but nothing pops up. The only place I'm able to narrow down search results is on a background-checking website. Fine, I'll pay the $39.95. Maybe I can write it off for research. It had come to this. I'm glad to see you're still kicking, I think, though I did see the string of misdemeanors ranging in letters of the alphabet, and then the felonies. Honestly, are of all the places you had to get caught possessing cocaine or speeding without a license, why on earth did you have to pick Miami-Dade in Texas? Next, I Google your name, comma, Miami-Dade, comma, felony. The internet slows down, as it often does at 3 a.m., when oddly there just happens to be the least amount of traffic. But slowly, line by line, from top to bottom, in dial-up mode porn fashion, your mugshot reveals itself rather dramatically, I might add. There you are, alone, feared, misunderstood. Diminutive, not the larger-than-life way I remember you. Eyes glassed over, gazing into the camera like a deer caught in the headlights. I wanna reach out, maybe say something motivational about how you have obvious strength as a writer and that it's your responsibility to take care of yourself so that you can share your gift with the world, but I have to stop myself. I don't know what really came of you, if you're still in jail since the last felony, but I just want you to know that I forgive you in the small chance that you're listening. And I'm sorry I wasn't able to personally give you my forgiveness 19 years ago, or even 8 years ago. I'm not sure what to think of forgiveness. Plus, is it for you or for me? I know Oprah says that forgiveness is a gift you give to yourself, but I just don't believe much of what she says anymore. (laughs) Beyond the flesh, Martian. Epilogue and a note to potential future suitors, if there are any. Hi there. Love with me doesn't have to be this extreme dramatic or intense. I'm a great person, but I need space to be creative and make things and time alone to worry about the future. I'm a delicate flower, (laughs) and there'll be some things you'll find out about me over time. I'm well aware it's a lot to ask of somebody, and if things don't work out between us, hey. I promise to at least change your name before I read your love letters to a room full of people or on a podcast. Thanks.
3: Margie McGee improvises a hilarious, albeit unique, Dear John letter. Uh, Margie is going to improvise a letter. She's going to improvise a letter based on your suggestion. We've had in the past, we've had a revenge letter, a scarlet letter, and a divorce letter, right? So, what kind of a letter has Margie received? A dear John. A dear John letter. All right. Please give a really big, warm round of applause for Miss Margie McGee.
4: Um, Hey, David. Hi. Um, So that's my friendly greeting. Um, Full disclosure, I punched my computer screen when I read your letter, So I'm writing this on a typewriter, so it will be stream of consciousness, because it doesn't have a correcting tape. So just going to write what I'm thinking. Um, Hey, so you said that I'm not great at being social. Okay. What's weird is that you always walk two paces in front of me, and you never really introduced me to anyone. So I didn't really feel like maybe that was all on me. But I get it. I get it. I get it. <laughs> Full disclosure, I just strangled a spider. <laughs> but it's just a way for me to feel my feelings and not put all the blame on you. <laughs> um, also, maybe you should know that I'm a little bit pregnant. Um, <laughs> I have a feeling you sensed that right before you left, because you were like, oh, your boobs are getting bigger. And I was like, cool, that'll keep him here, right? And then you left, and that was unfortunate. I'm thinking I'll probably have this baby, just because I think maybe we should see each other again, and that's a good way for me to get to you. (laughs) Um, We never really talked about it, but do you have any other children? (laughs) Maybe this kid would like a sister or brother. (laughs) Maybe it's twins. I don't know yet. We'll see. I'll give you one if it's twins. (laughs) That seems fair. (laughs) Um, I'm just going to tell you I had a couple complaints about you, too. Um, One time, uh, I was wearing all of your clothes because I was a little bit bloated, and You pointed at me and said, "Hey, Dad," and I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I said, "Like, hey, maybe you should go to therapy because that seems like a really weird thing to say to me, just because I'm wearing man's clothes. I'm not your dad." Um, And then you didn't go to therapy, and then you spoke to me as your father for a while. Um, I'm not going to get into everything that you said, because I think you remember it, but I'm not an alcoholic, and I'm not um, a hobo who lives in a cardboard box who you worry about on occasion. I think if you have time, you should seek out your father. Full disclosure, I just scratched my thighs and made red marks on them so I can remember this moment in history. (laughs) Anyways, I'm not sure I totally get why you left me, but I'm excited for you to meet your child or children. (laughs) Please give me a call at any of these 14 numbers. I got a bunch of new cell phones that have really easy numbers to remember so that you can call me and get a hold of me and make sure that we are a family at some point in the future. A modern family, if you will. Anyways, I'm going to go watch that right now because it's a good show, and we used to watch it together, but you would fall asleep, and then you would ask me to rub your toes when you would wake up, and I would because I'm that kind of girl. Remember? Anyways... (laughs) Um, I hope you're doing great, I guess, and I'm going to go urinate on the letter that you left me and pretend like it never happened, treat it like a pregnancy test, and if it comes out with a smiley face, I'll know we're having a baby, and I will keep you posted. Anyways, um, that was a lot of M's, sorry. (laughs) I got stuck on the typewriter. You know me. Miss you, love you, bye, Jen. Jen. Thessaly
3: Lerner shows a letter her friend Colin received about his inappropriate behavior. Thank you, Colin.
5: Dear Tish, I don't know whether you want to hear this. Since this came to me, the only thing I feel right about doing is giving it to you exactly as I got it since it took place on your property. Pegasus security called me on Wednesday morning, uncomfortable and concerned. On their nightly rounds Tuesday night, your outside and downstairs lights were on. Quote, a large white young man, about 200 pounds naked from the waist down, and wearing a grayish shirt was exposing and fondling himself under the lights for 30 to 40 minutes, end quote. Later in the day, I met a neighbor at Market Hall who had been out walking her dog late Tuesday night. She approached me with the same story. Pegasus turns in a nightly police report and noted the situation. It is their policy when there is sexual or genital exhibition under inappropriate conditions to call the police. They wanted to let me know that they would call them next time. Give me a call if you feel like it. Sina. Two dots over the E. That's the neighbor, Sina. Oh, we're not done. So, uh... Cullen received this. Tish had nothing to say. He had nothing to say. It was the most awkward moment. It was just you know awful. And um, Tish was like, "What? What the fuck was?" You know, she didn't say "fuck." What was going on? And Cullen could not tell her that he had been totally stoned, and he'd been outside in the back porch, um, which is totally pastoral. Like there's a brook and like redwood trees, and he was just like, "Whatever." He's smoking pot and playing with himself. It was good times. He couldn't tell her that part, but he did say, "I, I just was feeling free," you know, "I was in nature." Um, apparently the entire neighborhood could watch the back porch. So a couple days later he's at work, Cullen's at work, this is what, this is his, this is true, this is a real letter, he's at work and Cena comes into the coffee shop, the neighbor, and he's the barista and he has to serve her, like there's nobody else there, and he gives her the coffee and he, he had to ask her, would you like cream with your coffee? Thank you.
3: I read a letter to my car, because in L.A., who doesn't love their car? I'm a little nervous to read this letter. Um, I have to, a few disclaimers. One, I heartily apologize for my ignorance uh, that you will discover what my ignorance is in this letter. I just apologize ahead of time for that. And also, I don't recommend that anybody does this at home. (laughs) This is a letter to my car. Dear Goldie, I wanted to take this opportunity to thank you publicly for your tireless commitment, your grace in navigating the beast that is LA traffic, and your stoic performance in the dodgiest of situations. My decision to partner with you was questioned by all, How truly reliable could you be given your age, and frankly, the wear and tear of your past experiences visible to everyone? It wasn't necessarily love at first sight, but there was an ease, a comfort, like we had traveled this road together before. Then, of course, there was your nickname, your moniker, the label that would stay with you always, Goldie. You defied the odds, surprised everyone, including me. You've remained strong, reliable, and in my eyes, glow more brightly now than ever before. The quality I admire in you the most, however, is your discretion. (laughs) Who could forget the night I popped into 1648 to sit at the bar and enjoy a special select micro-brew? Remember the young man I described who wavered in the doorway, clearly remembering times past when the fanciest beer on tap was Bud Light? He seemed wary of the ironic mustaches and bowls of fancy nuts. He took a few faltering steps, eyes darting rapidly over short woolen pants, leg warmers, skinny jeans, and jaunty hats. Budweiser, he muttered in a thick accent. I held my breath, knowing the barkeep could land either side of Dickhead, but she kindly shook her head and answered, no, Budweiser, and poured him a comparable pint. He took a sip, grinned, and sat precariously atop a stack of chairs. Odd choice to place oneself, but he was grinning, so who cares? I turned on my stool and smiled at him and then swiveled back, grinning my own self. This went on, grinning, swiveling, drinking, grinning, swiveling, drinking, and then I got bored and left. (laughs) On my way out, I waved at him like an idiot. Who waves at strangers in bars? (laughs) 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 Once on the street, I scan the shadows for you, Goldie, always waiting patiently no matter where I chose to roam. Out of the corner of my eye, I see the young man exit the bar and lean up against a lamppost watching me. I crossed the street, and moments later, he crossed the street. I got inside of you, Goldie, and was immediately transfixed by my phone, head down, eyes focused on that tiny glowing screen displaying some piece of gormless Facebook babble. And then there he is, the young man, opening my passenger side door, getting in, and sitting down, (laughs) facing forward. My mouth dropped open, incredulous, and yet I say nothing. (laughs) He turns only his head. So he's facing forward. He turns only his head. And he says, hola. (laughs) Hola, I whisper back. Then we both resume facing forward in silence, just both of us sitting, staring straight ahead. Like a complete ignoramus, I string a few words of Spanish together. ¿Dónde está before cerveza? (laughs) Trabajo. ¿Dónde? Baño. I'm fairly certain I misinterpreted this last bit of information to mean he was working in the bathroom before his beer from the bar. Silence descends once again, and we both stare forward. I get the giggles. More silence. And then we face each other and start making out. (laughs) He found the seat lever with surprising agility, and we were suddenly both lying in the passenger seat. He was very toothy in his kissing practice, (laughs) biting my lip aggressively, having no clue how to say, dude, please don't bite me in Spanish. I tapped on his front teeth and said no. (laughs) To casa, he asked. Nope, I answered decisively. Okay, he said and was gone. (laughs) That was it, up the street. (laughs) Recounting the story to friends, I have been met with mild amusement, one standing ovation, (laughs) but mostly abject horror at my utter stupidity. (laughs) Needless to say, I always lock my door now when sitting in my car and have refrained from waving at random men perched atop precarious gatherings of furniture. You, Goldie, witness a whole sordid thing and besides silencing your judgment, have never breathed a word to anyone. I love you, Goldie, my companion, my shiny steed, my golden chariot, and partner in crime. Love, Jane. <laughs>
0: I'm part machine. Oh, I'm part machine.
3: You have been listening to To Whom It May Concern, produced by Justin Crane and myself, Jane Entwistle. Music in this episode was played by Don Black of Giant. Subscribe to the podcast so you never miss a show. Come on down to Rafa's to see the show live or submit your own letter for consideration on w dot